Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. Thursday night, Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have no with our joke. Good evening, family. My name is Noah, and I'm an alcoholic. Hello, hello, hello. I got a joke for us tonight. I'm going to try to share. Um, this one, this is a joke called, uh, thanks, Doc. Okay. Herb went to the doctor for a routine exam. While he was there, he told the doctor that he wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he used to. And he says, because I'm usually pretty drunk when I get home. Uh, he explained, when the examination was complete, Herb looked at the doctor and said, all right, doc, now give it to me straight. Plain English, tell me what's wrong with me. Uh, well, in plain English, the doctor replied, you're just a lazy old drunk. <laughs> Okay, said Herb. Now give me the Latin term so I can tell my wife. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Ben Z. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that, that make noise that might will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
Let's say the fog light prayer. God, that your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree, and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Pablo to read Appendix to His Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Hi, my name is Pablo. I'm an alcoholic. Pablo! The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first point printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and, spe and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformers, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James called the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the, of the difference long before he is himself. He, is, he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently, presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves in this essence of spiritual experience. Um, our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of being honest facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can be defeated by an, by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one needs to have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, guys. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phone on airplane, meeting mode, or just turn them off. Now please help me welcome tonight's speaker, Peter. My name is Peter, rec recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober. Is that good? And part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, glad to be here. Um, my favorite uh, meeting of the week is coming here, whether I'm speaking or sitting out there. 
And again, thank the trusted servants for the hard work they do to get this place looking so uh, wonderful. Um, when I travel, I tell folks, if you're in town, make sure you come here. Um, on a Thursday night, it's a cool place to be. And Monday, upstairs, but they got a really neat little big buff thing going on up there. So uh, um, glad to be here. June 23rd, 1988 is when uh, Loving God separated me from alcohol. And I'm very grateful for my uh, sobriety, this gift of sobriety. Um, albeit when I first got sober, it didn't feel very much like a gift. It was more relief. And um, I was in treatment, so it was a nice little cocoon. Um, where they fed me and took me to the gym, and I talked about my feelings for 30 days and, and my issues and my triggers, but they all were trying to help me. Um, I didn't know what was about to ensue. I didn't know the road I just stepped onto, unlike the road I, I stepped onto when I picked up a drink. And um, uh, it has been uh, indeed miraculous for me, quite frankly, with all the peaks and valleys that you get in life, because life happens. Um, whether we're uh, sober and rich or sober and poor, life happens. And uh, I need a GPS to navigate through that. Uh, I need a God of my own understanding where my center, wherever I go, my center goes with it. It's not like I pray in the morning, then I leave God home and go to work. And then I come home and I go to a meeting and I might take God there. And if there's a pretty girl, I leave God in the meeting. And it, it, it doesn't work that way. As I heard a gentleman say one time, uh, God's center is everywhere and his circumference is nowhere. And so I need to walk with that center wherever I go. Um, in June of 88, as I've shared with you uh, over the past few weeks, um, I had no clue about recovery. Um, wanted this God in my life because I was told I needed a God in my life. If I could, if I could avoid that piece, uh, I would. It just seemed very demanding. It seemed very disciplined. It seemed very restricted. Uh, big Book says we alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in a simple way. They've outlined we let God discipline us. There's something that goes, if, I, if I'm willing to be obedient, I will eat the good things of the land. That's out of Scripture. And simply what that means is, if I'm willing to be obedient, I will travel light. My relationships will feel better. They will be better. My health will be better. My GPS will be healthier. But I need to be willing and obedient. Back in the third step, it says uh, that God will provide me what I need if I keep close and performance work well. They all parallel each other. Am I willing to be disciplined to this life? Which means I'm going to get my marching orders per sponsor out of this book and I need to move forward. Sometimes we hear in Alcoholics Anonymous, take what you want and leave the rest. I don't know who invented that one or why we even still say it, because it, it's, it's bizarre. It's actually quite dangerous, especially if you've got a new person sitting here, new meeting a year and under, and hasn't gone through the steps yet. And I'm expecting that person, there's no disrespect to that person, to decide what they want and what they need to leave. That, that's crazy, because my mind, I have to assume my mind is still running my life. And my mind's going to pick up the selfish, self-seeking and instant gratification things, the things that are going to make me look good and feed the pride, and not the things that require me to be disciplined. I'm an alcoholic. I'm undisciplined. My book tells me that. So uh, through pain uh, uh, and suffering, quite frankly, I'm brought to a place of what do I need to do? I heard a gentleman say something last night that was brilliant. Why is not a spiritual question? 
why is why do I have to do this? Why is God? It's none of my business. My question should be, what do I do? How do I do this? And in 1988, uh, I wasn't sure about God. I wasn't, wasn't sure if this road was going to uh, keep me buoyant. But it was no wise. It's like, okay, what are you doing and how do I get there? I need to be on your team. And the thing that would keep me up at night, uh, one of the things that would keep me up at night was the wreckage of my past. How could I live now knowing how I lived then? How could I be awake to this moment when I'm driven by the voices of the past? And sometimes it's like, how am I going to get under? There was a lot of damage I did. I don't mean I was the worst guy in the band, but I did. We all do damage coming in here. It could be simple damage like not showing up for a birthday party or our children's uh, uh, events at school or showing up drunk and making a scene or maybe infidelity or getting fired job after job after job or just going through relationships and selfish and self-seeking motives. And the list goes on and on and on. Some of us have violent backgrounds. You know, it, it looks like that. So when I get sober, that stuff is sitting here right here. What am I going to do with it? And if John or Mary ever walked into a meeting, I got to run for cover because I owe them money. I owe them an amends. I owe them a lot. And our books is a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our homes, occupations, affairs. It doesn't say anything about being in an AA meeting and being the best student because a lot of us like to do that. That's fine. But it's when I leave here or when I get up in the morning and head out there, am I taking this center into, those, into my home, occupation, affairs? What does my home look like? Have I cleaned up? Is my house in order? Have I cleaned up the wreckage of the past in my own home? The people, most of them, got the brunt of my stuff. For me, it was my dad and my brothers. Then my grandparents. And then my uncles and aunts. And anyone else I, I even looked at, I probably harmed. It was like that. I never had a good motive. In fact, if I'm sitting here tonight and I think I got good motives, that something goes an alcoholic with a motive ought to be considered armed and dangerous. I don't have any good motives. It's always a payoff for me, not so much for you. So what do, what do I do with this weight on my back? And I don't know if I shared this last week, and if I did, forgive me. But the story I always like to tell to illustrate the power of this work, four through nine, what, what happens is in, 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 we bring death to self-will and life to the spirit as we go through this work. Because as long as I'm in self-will, the external world owns me. People owns me. They all have leverage over me. But as I get, as self-will starts to die, if self starts to die, I get life with the spirit. I start to get integrated or oneness with the spirit. And nothing owns me anymore. I'm free. And I, a lot of times, uh, these uh, awakenings where we start to live in spirit to be inspired, we don't even see them coming. A lot of them, I, I didn't even see them coming. They just showed up, and there I was. <clears throat> and I'm doing a fourth step, and I'm writing about the Catholic Church, and I had to share it in the fifth step with my sponsor. I'm a Catholic, and I had lots of problems with the medical community on my fourth step for institutions and my religious community, mainly because they didn't save my mom. The doctors kept medicating her more and more, and she got worse and worse. And she was a churchgoer, a believer in the carpenter, and she commits suicide. So enough of this. So in my limited point of view, they both failed miserably, and I was really angry with them. So I'm sharing this in the fifth step with my sponsor. By the way, I'm sober a number of years. This is like maybe, I don't know, the, the 20th time I'm going through the work. 
and I'm sitting with a, an old, a former sponsor, and I get to institutions, and I read to him resentment Catholic Church and all my causes and my third and fourth column, and um, he, he stopped me. He said, how long have you been nursing this grudge for? And I gave him my reasons why it was a justifiable resentment. Look what they did, and look what happened to her. And I, I gave him my, my, my speech about this stuff, and he listened. And then things changed. He asked me some questions. <clears throat> he says, do you go to AA meetings? I says, of course I do. Is every AA meeting a good meeting? I says, no. <laughs> Are the 13 steppers in those meetings? I said, yeah. Have you ever known anyone to get a coin who you knew was loaded while they were accepting their one or two year case? Absolutely. He says, but you keep going back. I says, yeah. And you practice love, tolerance, forgiveness, acceptance, and you bring the solution there. I said, yeah. He says, how come you can't do that with your church? <clears throat> I had no answer for him. There was silence on the phone. Yeah. He said, sounds to me like you need to make amends, but we need to do six and seven first. Which is really important before I get to step eight, that I have worked, if you will, I hate that word work a step, but we've done some work with six and seven. Where I've surrendered to God, as we talked about last week, all my brokenness, the things I, th I think are wrong with me, the things I'm completely unaware of, the things I think I do good, the things that I think are bad. What I think is good might be bad. What I think is bad might be good. I have no clue. It's an extension of the third step. I'm surrendering all is to be remolded again, to be remodeled once again. I'm out of fixing my life business. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm signing up for that. It's not about winning friends or being a popular AA guy. You know, we know folks who run for mayor in AA. I'm not that cat. Conscious contact with God's my primary purpose. And anyone wants to hop on my train, let's go. And if you don't, that's okay too. So am I in the process of willing to be remodeled here and get a force feeding of humility when I again look at me and my brokenness after five? I go into six, there's more stuff, and I got to surrender again. And God in his way and his time is going to tweak or remove. It's none of my business. I don't have the power to do that. I have the insight, the stamina, the endurance to do that. But on bending knees, they take me like the wretch I am. I don't know what to do. It's another surrender. And if I think I can work on those defects, I got another problem. And worse, if I don't think I have any defects, you're defective, not me. We got a really big problem. Probably medications needed. <laughs> So some of this work has to take place. I can't just come into AA and write up a list because a lot of those people on the list, if I do it that way, easy amends. There's a payoff. I think I'll make amends to my ex-girlfriend. We broke up last week. I'll get her back. I see a lot of young guys come to me. I got to make amends to my girlfriend. We just broke up. No, you're not going anywhere near that because you're going to say, I'm sorry, let's go to bed. I know what this is all about. So there was some work involved. And then it came time to creating this eight-step list. So uh, I stopped praying for willingness in step eight to go back to my Catholic church. I'm thinking, how am I supposed to make amends to the Catholic church? I mean, it's a, maybe the biggest institution on the planet. I don't know. I mean, where do I start? And my sponsor showed me, not told me, but showed me some of the wrongs, the harms caused, my gossiping, my slandering, at any opportunity, I'd volunteer it. 
you know, that kind of stuff. Yet I'm coming to AA meetings and talking about my love of God. But I'm, in, a, in a private conversation, I'm slandering his house. So I couldn't do it up here, it'd be a break in tradition. But when we got together for coffee and we talked about the religion, I'd be the first one online and say, well, let me tell you about this. He said, that's not, that's not real. That's being a hypocrite. I had to take a look at that. And that doesn't taste good going down. But I'm willing to be obedient. I'm willing to follow this even if it hurts. And quite frankly, walking on a very narrow path, which God has put me on and many of us on, sometimes we feel like we're being squeezed. It's a tight path. But in the narrowing of that road, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. It's when I think I got a wide gate to walk to and I got to do anything I want. It feels good. I get what I want, but the payoff is not good. It's actually more painful because I'm left standing alone with me and more wreckage. And so I'm praying for willingness. And one Sunday morning, uh, one uh, uh, Saturday, I decide to go to uh, what we have is something called confession. It's like a fifth step, except we don't talk about our part there. <laughs> There's no third and fourth column. This is who I'm angry with. I sinned here. I sinned there. I sinned there. They give you absolution. It's a great deal. Hmm? You do some penance. And God is infinite mercy as you're off the hook. My job at that point is, is to go to him so I don't do that again, which we talk about in here. So I'm sitting in this little confession booth with this priest, and usually they're pretty quick with you. You know, uh, They get to the point, there's usually a line of sinners waiting to get in there patiently, waiting to be forgiven. And um, I kneel down and I tell them I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm a Catholic, and here's why I'm here. And I basically share with him all the harms, gossiping, slandering, you know, character assassination. I have a problem when they sing the Lord's Prayer. How dare they on my watch sing the Lord's Prayer? What kind of nonsense is this? Went on and on and on. And uh, he said to me, usually they say, you're sorry for your sins. He said to me, I'll never forget this. I understand. I said, That's new. And he went on to talk to me to this little kind of screen that they sit behind. For a few minutes. He's just talking to me about where I've been and what I've done and how I'm looking at things with this point of view. And it went on and on and on. It was just a wonderful experience. And I asked him, I says, as, as part of this amends that I'm doing here, what can I do to make it right? That's part of the process. And I'm probably going to get into nine tonight, just the way that goes. And he says, can you come to mass tomorrow morning? I said, okay. One mass, I'm off the hook. This is great. And Saturday night, I'm kind of tossing and turning. I've been to Mass many a time, sobriety, you know, but not a regular goer. I'm nervous because I've got this job to do. I need to go. I made a commitment to go. I'm willing to be obedient. I'm going to go. And so, like a, a courageous guy I am, I said, Marion, can you come to Mass with me? Yeah. And uh, it was 1030 in Deerfield Beach, and uh, the bells are ringing. Get out of the car. My chest is vibrating, pounding, nervous. Not afraid, though, but just nervous. And um, I walk and I sit in the back row, sinner's row. I didn't feel worthy like I did when I got to AA to sit up in the front. Those are for the real spiritual, holy people. I'm in the last row. And um, something changed. About two-thirds of the way, they say the Lord's Prayer. They sing the Lord's Prayer. I always had a problem with that. And it was pre-COVID, we held hands like we do in here. 
and I can't stop crying. And I realize I went home. I'm home. I never felt more free and connected in my life other than Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had to learn, I was a little rusty because we do a lot of aerobics in, in church. We kneel and we stand and we kneel and we sit and we kneel and we stand. I, don't know, I didn't know the cue, so I'm following along. And when it was over, I, I remember getting on my phone and calling my sponsor. I was talking so fast I couldn't get the words out. I was so elated. I was free. I had a list of harms I caused. I was willing to be disciplined out of desperation. And I followed through on this. I made the approach with the priest, and I followed through with the amends. And the amends, quite frankly, not only wasn't, we, I used to think it was just repairing. It's, there's been a change. I'm showing up different. My life has changed. My attitude has changed. My outlook has changed. My emotions have changed. My ideas have changed. There's been a change. I've been remodeled, and you're here to see it. And that's how I showed up, nervous, which was my sponsor. That was a force feeding of humility. You didn't walk in like you're the most important guy. I was, I was nervous walking in. There was a job ahead of me to do. I don't know how this was going to work. And it was absolutely wonderful. I haven't stopped going. I'm on the road a lot. But if I'm home, I'm there on a Sunday. And I've been able to serve at my church. My wife and I, both of us. It's absolutely wonderful. They even gave me a gown to wear to stand on the altar with the priest and do some jobs that I do there. It blows my mind. I was living in an abandoned building 35 years ago. And here I am doing something very sacred, very important. It came through four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but it began back in one when I was so desperate to do anything. So I began this list. I'll share, uh, I'm getting my, my, the first time to the work here, uh, the list. Um, I got it, our book says, we go back to look at our fourth step, the harm's cause. Very simple. And I start looking at my fourth step and harmed, harmed, harm, harm. And what I did was I put the person's name on a sheet of paper, any contact information just before Facebook and social media, even before cell phones, quite frankly, newcomers, I know you cannot believe we live without cell phones and social media. By the way, we did great. In fact, back then, when we didn't have cell phones, we were looking at the door for who was coming in. And while we were sitting here, we actually talked to each other. It was the cool. It was unbelievable. And so a lot of them, I didn't know where they lived anymore. I put a question mark. You know, John Smith, have no idea where he lives. But I put down the harm caused. And I be, created this list. And the first time out, uh, I probably made a neighborhood of 200 direct amends. I was doing like drive-by amends at one point. And um, from family members to just people I harmed. And a lot of them I didn't know where they were. But God is unbelievable. He connects dots and you're walking out of a store. Oh, my God, there he is. Going to work. Oh, my God, there he is going shopping there, she is, things like that. And so I created this list of people and institutions. The Catholic Church, uh, uh, I didn't go to the first time out, but it was on there. The medical community, the police department. I don't have to agree with uh, your way of living, but I have no business to character assassinate you. And I start to be a good, I haven't broken the law since I got sober. I've gotten pulled over. 
for running a red light, you know, making a right turn when I wasn't supposed to, and you get pulled over, and I gave the police officer the respect he was due, unlike you see nowadays. I don't read the headlines and say, well, I'm not going to give them respect. That's nonsense. Not if I'm on this path. They want to go home to their wife and children, too, safe. So I'm not a knucklehead. So that was kind of an indirect amends back to them. And I won't tolerate people ripping them apart or anyone for that reason in front of me. It's, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for me. So I create this list, and it began. I start praying for willingness to go to every... This was really important. I pray for willingness to go to every single person on that list. Whether they're drug dealers, gangsters, whatever they are, my job is to pray for willingness to go to every single person on that list. Step nine is going to tell me except when to do so would injure them or others. I just want to get back to the police for a minute. So I, my job was, because as a kid you're a knucklehead, your character assassinate, you, know, you, try to, you try to muscle up when you see the law and show everyone you're a big gangster and just totally disrespectful, you know. And now I'm sober and I can't do that anymore. And it was a bit of an order for me because when I was uh, uh, 1962, uh, my dad was coming home from work. We lived in South Brooklyn. And uh, he, we used to have the 6, the six o'clock new, daily news, uh, the midnight owl, and then the morning paper. There were three papers. He had no social media. So my dad would always uh, stop by this little uh, place, get the 6 o'clock paper, pack of cigarettes, and, and go home after work to my mom. And she was pregnant with my, my, my little brother. And uh, as he's uh, coming home, he hears a commotion across the street. And he sees his youngest brother having a fight with three guys. And my dad being my dad jumped right in. And my dad being my dad hurt a couple of those guys. And then they flipped their badges. They were uh, uh, plainclothesmen. And his kid brother was acting like a knucklehead. And back in the day, that's what they did. And my dad got arrested. And by the time they got done with him, it was like attempted murder on a police officer. And what happened back then was, uh, while my dad was in the, uh, the bullpen, we'll call it a holding cell in the precinct, uh, they said, you have a phone call. And he knew here, they're going to rough me up, but how bad? Well, they almost beat my dad to death. They handcuffed him to a radiator, and uh, three of them with nightsticks just kept beating him and beating My dad spent about six months in the hospital. A lot of internal injuries, and uh, till the day he died, he had this, this twitch in his eye, and they kind of, they did bad things to him. And I remember that growing up. A little vendetta. And then I got sober. What an order, I can't go through with it. I watched my dad never, ever be disrespectful to a police officer. I watched it. Ever. He's they got a job to do. A couple of bad apples don't mean they're all bad. And I had to learn that in Alcoholics Anonymous to be not be a knucklehead. You know what? I got really free. I wind up sponsoring in my 35 years probably a dozen men who were on the job, and I heard their side of the story in Fifth Steps. There's three sides to a story. Your side, my side, and the middle is the truth. <laughs> I learned. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And so I start making these approaches. I got the list, and I'm praying for willingness. And um, uh, my first amends was to a guy named Bob B. Uh, he ran a sober house when I was in Minnesota. And uh, I had about five months sober. You know when you have five months sober and you're untreated, you think you're like God's gift to Alcoholics Anonymous, and every woman wants you. So I got that little swagger going on. I have clothes that don't fit me, and I'm walking around like, you know, I'm Brad Pitt or something. And they saw it. They said, what's going on with this kid? And one day I walked into the sober house, and Sharon S. says, Bob wants to see you. That was not going to be a good meeting when he called you in. He was about 6 foot 12, 250, you know, real country boy. And I walked into his office. I didn't call you in, wait outside. I said, now I'm plotting his death. And I walked, he said, come in, and I sat down. He said, I didn't ask you to sit. It's going to be that way. So I had to stand in front of him. And he went up one side, down the other on me, on telling me what he was seeing happen to me. I was going off the deep end. I didn't want to hear any of this. And he went, went and went and started screaming at me, and I gave him a few choice words and stormed out of his office. When I got to the parking lot, that little voice says, you're doing it again. How dare you? You're doing it again. Well, I go back to uh, Brooklyn. I'm going through the steps, and my first amends was to Bob, Bob Bannister. I didn't have money to get on a plane, but I called him. My sponsor that'll do. He's in AA. He'll understand. And he said, I know what this call's about. He said, I heard you're doing good, kid. What's going on? And I, I, I told him. It wasn't an apology. I showed up changed. He said, I can hear it in your voice. I said, what can I do to make it right? He said, go help somebody else. Just go help somebody else. And a few years later, when I saved enough money up to go visit Minnesota, my fav- one of my favorite spots on the globe, because they, they, they brought me back to life, I went back to that sober house, and I was able to shake his hand. Man to man, look him eye, eyeball to eyeball, and walk out of there with dignity and grace because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I did some knucklehead things, like not checking with my sponsor on amends. So someone on the list, let me go make this. This will be easy, and it blew up. My sponsors, you aren't ready to go there yet. Let's talk about who you're going to go see and what kind of approach and what kind of amends you owe. I learned some force-feeding of humility. Now, I was a longshoreman for a long time, uh, uh, many years, and what I did down there was wreak havoc. Yeah? I, my dad was a, 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 a boss down there, a shop steward. My uncles, they all had really nice jobs. And I brought shame to them and bewilderment to their life because I would show up for work for payday and disappear. i show up drunk. i show up high. I was stealing everything, borrowing money off of everyone, including people I shouldn't even be in the same area code with. And it was all dropping in my dad's lap, and he was becoming really embarrassed about me. Mm. And so every payday, I'd wait outside the diner where all the truck drivers and all the longshoremen would meet for breakfast or have lunch. And I'd wait outside and they'd say, Joe, you got a minute? And they'd say, I have no money for you today. So that's not what this is about. Some of them were kind of, what's up, kid? I, I, I never said I'm here to do this because if I don't, I'm going to get drunk. That sounds really selfish. But I says, I'm sober and I have a different life and I realized I harmed you. I owe you money. And I would always give them more than I was owed because 20 bucks 20 years ago it might be worth 30 right now. And some of them took it, some of them would not take it, some of them were just glad I was doing okay. And I was doing like three or four of these every single day. Word got out and guys were looking for me. Hey, you owe me money, where's my amends? It was like something out of Seinfeld, where's my amends, you know? (laughs) 
My dad was on that list. My dad saw basically all of it that I did. And there was a point when I would go into treatment how much I despised them because he was putting me in treatment. How dare he? He would read me the riot act about what was happening to my life, and I despised him for that. And then I got sober, and I saw a different point of view, a shift in consciousness, new eyes. I was seeing from the soul for the, for the first time. I was hearing from the soul. I was, I was acting and speaking from the soul, not from the mind, which is twisted. It's a liar. I owed him a fortune of money for lawyers and just things. And I start to take money out of my paycheck every week and put it in an envelope and tuck it in a top dresser drawer. And I saved up a whole bunch of money. I don't remember how much it was. But I was going to try to arrange the best financial deal with him because I'd still be paying him off if he was still alive. And we were sitting down talking, and I says, uh, uh, my sponsor said, don't go there right away. Big Book says they'll be more interested in our behavior than our talk of spiritual discoveries. I'm sober 20 minutes. I found the Lord. Forgive me. That, that's not going to go far. He said, you need to walk that out. And so what I did at work is I did like AA. I showed up early and stayed late. And when I was there, I worked. And I had money every payday from the last payday. That spread around quick. I was with my dad having a cup of coffee. He said, can we, can we talk about something? And... Um, I took out this envelope from my breast pocket and I put it on the table and I began the approach about all the harms without dragging someone through the mud. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. My dad stopped me. He didn't take the money. And he says, all I ever wanted was my son back. And he went on to praise Alcoholics Anonymous. I got married about a year and a half ago. And it was like an AA conference, my wedding. It was unbelievable. We, instead of taking vows, we could have read the preamble. It was like that. And uh, <clears throat> my dad's early riser, he'd be downstairs uh, sneaking cigarettes without his wife finding out in a little courtyard where we were staying and uh, have a cup of coffee. And uh, the AAs would come down because they were all staying at the hotel. And they knew it was my dad. And they would just, hey, Mr. Marinelli, and they'd, they'd chit-chat, have a cigarette, cup of coffee. And my dad pulled me aside. He says, I can't believe these people were drunks. So I kind of laughed when he said that. He said, I never saw more respectful. And he said, never forget, clean-cut people. And that's an old expression. He says, every one of them came over and sat with me and talked to me. My dad would, I think I shared this last week, he's told doctors, he's told psychiatrists, he's told therapists, he even told a priest to mind their business about him, how he's raising his children. No one was going to get involved with that. Until I found AA, and he told me during that amends, you keep doing what they tell you to do. He turned me over to you. Because he saw with his own eyes how you guys live and what you're doing for me. And when that, that was over, I took that money and I gave it to some to church and to charities and things like that because it's not my money. If someone says, I don't need the money, keep it, I need to give it somewhere because it's not mine. Although oh, oh, if I do that, I'm walking around with stolen goods again. I don't go buy a $500 uh, uh, a jacket when I owe 2000 out. I pay the 500 and then go buy the jacket. 
But when that was over, I, I remember how connected he and I were from then on out. And how connected I felt to everyone else. See, I'm not okay with you because I'm not okay with God. Which means I'm not okay with me. And somehow through this process of amends, I get right with God, which means I get right with you, and now I'm okay with me. And over and over and over again through this process of amends, I got freer. The past was not dragging me down anymore. I wasn't driven by the voices of the past. Now, some of those amends I'd made uh, took many years. Uh, One, I was sober 17 years before this person showed up in my life. It's not on my terms. I'm not here to get a nine-step notch on my belt so I can come back and report to you how spiritual I am. But I need to be willing. I need to be willing. And step nine is going to tell you, you can't go there. You're going to cause more harm. I need to do something with that. Put back into the universe some way, somehow. There were relationships I couldn't go to. These women were now married. I had no business knocking on the door, giving them calls. Hey, remember me. I'm completely out of line. So you treat women with respect and dignity. And there's no one in AA, unless they're lying, can tell you that I've ever crossed the line in Alcoholics Anonymous. Or out there. Ever. Just the way God made it. It's my amends back for being such a, a dirtbag when I was out there. To have women come into Alcoholics Anonymous and feel safe when they're sitting around me. To feel safe when they're in an AA meeting. And I've seen some of the dogs in AA and I've gotten in the middle of that. It's part of my giving back. It's that important. I had to go back to old employees and tell them how I stole from them. My sponsor says, you can't. Because it would trickle back to my dad who was running the whole show. And I would implicate other men I work with. I have no right to save my own skin at someone else's expense. So what am I going to do about this thing? We'll ask them if it's okay. They all said no. So it was a few, few dollars, a couple of thousand dollars, I would estimate, that I stole in things besides time from the employer. So my amends back to my employer was showing up on time, but what do I do with this money? Again, giving away to charity. And uh, I, I have great respect for the men and women who serve this country. And one day I get this little thing in the mail. Um, it's called Disabled American Veterans Association, something like that. They wanted a donation. I said, thank you, God. And for five years, I donated. I put money in an envelope, a check, and sent it off for a good cause. It was giving back to the universe. There's been many groups along the way who said, you know, they were hurting financially. With no one seeing, I'd slip a $20 bill in the basket. It might go a little bit further than, you know, a dollar. The poor box at church. They do a collection like we do a seven tradition. They do one there. But there's also a poor box. I've dropped checks and cash in there. Because it's going to go to a good cause. That money's not mine. And little by slowly, I can't tell you it has improved my finances where I'm a rich guy because I'm not. But the past is not haunting me, which allows me to be present. I can hear God being inspired, living in spirit with inspiration. If I'm clear, I can hear. If I'm hiding, I'm not healing. And if I try to hide my past, keep it buried, I can't heal. I need to be open. And it starts with the sponsor. And then, you know, kind of like the effect produced by making amends. I feel tra- I'm traveling light. 
I'm not regretting the past. I'm not looking to shut the door on it. I'm comprehending the word serenity. I know peace. I get it now. I know what they're talking about. It's happening. It's not like a theory. It doesn't depend on people doing nice things for me anymore. I have it. When I put my head on the pillow, I comprehend the word serenity. I know peace. I'm sleeping at night. Even if I missed the mark a few times during the day, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not harming anyone. When, you, when we're new and we put our head on the pillow, that's for a sociopath. Every once in a while, we're going to, oh my God, I think about this. I can't believe I did that. Then once you get free of that and you're living, you're walking that, well, I'm walking that amends out. I put my head on the pillow. It's like, I didn't harm anyone today. I haven't harmed anyone. I haven't harmed anyone intentionally. I can't remember the last, that probably as long as I'm sober. God doing for me what I can't do for myself. I need to be thorough and take it with great, do this with great care. Our books is painstaking. With great care. My life depends upon this. Do I believe making amends has anything to do with me drinking again or not? Completing my amends. Or can I wait? And if you stay around here a long time and you start to see folks who uh, uh, said they did the steps, it doesn't work because I got drunk. Ask them about what went on with 11. Ask them about their 12. And then get right to where were you with the men's. They made one or two and, and, and stopped. I'm not in the world of the spirit. Not yet. I have a spiritual awakening as a result of steps nine and a half, nine and a quarter. I haven't really walked into the light. And over and over and over again, when we don't complete the amends we're consciously aware of without causing more harm in so doing, I'm going to be living in the dark. If I complete that process without harming more people, I start to travel light. And I'm giving you my firsthand experience with this. My past hasn't haunted me. There's times where I think about my relationship with my brothers, and I was MIA. I was in a lower east side, and I disappeared for a long time. I'm, I'm human. I think about it. I wish I could have done better. But I was sick. I couldn't. But I've made it back. I've been a brother to them. It's, it's, it becomes so ingrained, I don't even think I'm being a good brother now. I just show up. My kid brother just moved down here, and every Thursday we meet in Meisner Park with my wife for coffee and lunch. Every, that's our thing, every Thursday. That's, yesterday was Wednesday. But every week we meet, and we, we two brothers talking. My wife is there. We have a few laughs. We laugh about the past. We have hopes for the future. What a great way to go in the morning. There was a time where I wouldn't walk into the room with him because I stole everything that he owned. I had to go back to both my brothers. My middle brother was tough with me. What can I do to make it right? I didn't even get a chance to ask him anything he needed to tell me, and he told me. And the thread that went through that, he says, we were waiting for you to die. I didn't sleep. When the fire trucks would go by, the police would go by with the sirens on, I said, they're coming here, it's my brother, he's dead. You have no idea what that was like. But he, he was... He was animated about it and it was about two years into sobriety before my middle brother began to trust me he didn't trust me and my dad held was holding his breath he's seeing good things but when is it going to when is it going to go off the deep end again that's how the whole family was 
you know, I'd show up for Christmas, he's here, and little by slow, they used to count how many times I was in and out of the bathroom, you know? Did you die in there? What are you doing in there? You have a cold while you're sniffing. <laughs> they stopped doing that, but um, my youngest brother I went to, uh, they were all the top of my list, but I had to wait, I had to walk this out, and, 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 and the, the, the talk was the sermon. And my younger brother, uh, he's been joined to me at the hip since he's been born. Um, he got very emotional. And he said similar things to my middle brother, but with a lot of tears. I thought my brother was going to die. And I didn't know what to do. And then he told me when I hollered at you that time, I remember the time. He wanted to hurt me. He said, I was afraid. I didn't know what to do with you. And what I get to hear is my impact on those people. So I got a list, harms I'm caused, but I don't really know what that did to you. So I, I, I stole 20 bucks from you, and I come back, and I give you 40, and I think I'm done. And I look at it as an external hurt, money. Here's your money. Until I hear from me, he says, you were my best friend. How could you steal from me? I was brokenhearted by that. When I was forging checks, my dad's checks, uh, when I got sober, he says, it wasn't the money. He says, I never denied your brothers, you and your brothers, anything. He says, I couldn't believe, I couldn't sleep at night because my son was stealing from me. It broke my heart. That's the internal heart. I don't know the impact I had on you when I hurt you. I need to sit there and hear that sometimes. And some folks would say, I don't even remember what you, what you I don't even know what you're talking about. But remember the time we did this? I don't remember. Forget it, it's water under the bridge. Just let, let's move on. And I moved on. But if I stole wallets a long time ago and I make amends for that, it's not okay to steal wallets. If I make amends to my employee because I always show up work and he says, okay, let's forget it and we'll move on. The next morning, I don't show up late. I get there early. And I've been able to walk this out. I have a couple of more minutes. Um, how to approach the man we hated will arise. Our book talks about a lot of us have this on our list. That man or woman we despise. You know, you're writing the, the, your eight-step list. Yeah, right, I'll make amends to this one. You know, really angry about it. And I, I, I had a, a few, but one in particular was this landlord. I was renting out uh, a, a basement apartment. You know, the basement apartments with no windows, one of those things in Brooklyn. Uh, my dad gave me the money to set up shop and uh, got me a bed and uh, filled the pantry and all the things I should have been doing on my own. My dad was hoping this might kind of get me going. And it turned it into a pigsty in 20 minutes. It was like the Bowery was filthy. It was disgusting. I wasn't paying rent. I was sneaking in through the back door. The landlord banging on my door for his money. Me cursing through the doorway because I was a coward to open up the door. I was afraid of going to jail. It was just nasty. And I got thrown out of this place. And before I got thrown out, I mean, I'm not embellishing, it was filthy, really filthy. And I'm sure the landlord who had a key probably peeked in there and says, oh, my God, how are we going to get rid of this, this person who's living here? Even though there was a shower, I had stopped bathing in the apartment. And by the time I hit the street, bathing was the last thing on my mind, and I wasn't eating, and it was like that. 
well, I'm sober. I have this guy on my list, and I really don't want to go. I'm not that willing to go see him. I'm sitting in a restaurant in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and um, I was dating my ex-wife at the time, and in the back of the restaurant, there was like a little banquet room, and there's that neighbor, that landlord talking to a buddy of his, and they're eyeballing me from across the room. And I had just sat down, ordered a soda, and that menu's in my hand, and I, I told the young lady I was with that we got to get out of here. I couldn't stay there. My heart was pounding. My forehead was sweaty. I was, I was a criminal about to be caught. I was not free. And I wasn't willing to go see this guy because my pride was still in the way. He did this to me. I wasn't looking at my part. And I called my sponsor. My sponsor had me write more inventory on this guy and pray for willingness to go see him and to forgive him. Forgiveness is a powerful tool. I let them be and I get free. Yeah? I didn't know that, but I stopped praying. I didn't believe the, I don't want to forgive him. I forgive. And I'm writing him in sorry, God, please, the willingness to go fix this. And I owed money. Again, I start saving money. I was always told if you're going to go make amends, don't get dressed like you're going to commit a felony. Dress. I put on a sport jacket, dress pants, shaved. Had the money in an envelope, and off I went. His wife answered the door. She kind of looked at me like a deer in the headlights. She invited me in. She said, oh, my God, last time we saw you. I said, here's why I'm here. Husband came in. I stood up. I shook his hand. He said, what's, what's up? And I began to talk. See, the amends was I was changed. I'd have to think what I was going to say. There's something in the scripture that says, don't worry about the words you're going to speak, but the Father will speak through you. I wasn't prepared with a speech. I just went, God, this is yours. And the words came out. And I presented them the money. And if it's more, please tell me. I'm self-supporting through my own contributions today. And I told him about what I'm doing with my life. And then I left the house. And my whole life changed. And I've shared this a million times, but I can never do an adequate story. Or describe it properly enough. But I'm walking down the steps onto the sidewalk, and my car was just off the corner. And I remember very little of it. And what I do remember, I couldn't feel my shoes hitting the concrete. What I do remember was uh, elation, euphoric, would not do it justice. I felt as if I was wrapped up in a cocoon of white or yellow light, is the best way to describe it. And my feet, my shoes were not touching the concrete. There was no sense of time, or I can't wait to get to the meeting to share this experience. There was no time. There was nothing. And I remember my eyes filling up with water, and I, you know, kind of like crying. But I wasn't really conscious. Oh, my God, I'm crying. What's going on with me? It was just this moment. I don't remember getting in my car, and I don't remember driving home till this day. I remember putting my key in the door, and I've been changed. For better or worse, I've been changed. I have to think better, knowing that I'm known by my creator. What happens to us in amends? We unlock the, the gates of hell. There's a lot of work involved. 
getting just to understanding one, the heavy lifting in four, the discussion in five. That's heavy lifting. God's going to do it for us, but we're in there. It's heavy lifting. There's a lot of, oh, my gods, I can't believe it. And six and seven. And God sharpens that tool to go out to do his bidding, to repair the wreckage in the past. We are now agents. For, we're truly agents for God at this point. And it's going to start with our actions followed by my words, not my words hoping my actions show up. Off I go. And I'm going to be a beacon to people. And here's the cool thing. I never did believe I am. When I start to think I'm a beacon for other people, no, you're not. You're just running on ego. But we are. We're the last ones to know it. We're not claiming spirituality anymore because as soon as I claim it, I've just lost it. But we're just striving and, and chopping wood and carrying water and suddenly people around us are being changed. My brothers saw my life because of you and Alcoholics Anonymous. They went to Al-Anon. They, go to, they went to Coda. They got back to church. They went to therapy. They have a design for living that works for them. And forgiveness becomes a, 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 a working part of my life. How could I not? I don't want to stand before my creator and says, well, before you come in here, let's look at the record. You haven't forgiven anybody. You judged everybody. Uh, you want first row seats here? No, I don't think we can do that. <laughs> I need to clean up the wreckage here. It's a great, it's uncomfortable, what a great freedom, what a great awakening to realize that I have an opportunity, I cause this, I have an opportunity to get past it and heal. Just in our actions, amends to be changed. So I chop wood and carry water, and um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen the next time I go through four through nine. I hope there's no harms there. I don't, you know, damage anyone or do something stupid. I have to believe as long as I'm in God's light, that's not going to happen. So I need to grow in understanding effectiveness and make sure that my primary, my, my number one priority is having conscious contact with God. It seems to be, I've shared this a million times, when I have conscious contact with God, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not drinking. I'm not taking non-conference approved dry goods. I'm not acting out. I'm not doing stupid things that if anyone finds out, oh my God, I'm clean, I'm open, transparent. That's a great way to live. I'm like that with my wife. She's like that with me. No secrets. That's a pretty cool way to live. All because of God and AA. That's all I got. Peace. All right, let's thank um, Peter one more time. Okay, now we're going to have the secretary's report. Here's Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi. Uh, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the backs of your chairs, if you would rather give that way. As the baskets are going around, I've asked Kelly to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's bring up Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. 
recovered but not cured, that presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Kelly. 1940-style Big Book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Uh, does anybody need a sponsor? Can you raise your hand? No? All right. If you're too shy, just come up to the front after the meeting and someone will come talk to you. Uh, can the recovered alcoholics raise your hand? Awesome. If your hand's not up, talk to someone whose hand is. Uh, we have a couple announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by, stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Is anybody here from BCIC? Awesome. So you want to talk to these guys if you want more information on that. Here are some upcoming service opportunities. The next gratitude dinner planning meeting is Saturday, September 24th at 1.30. Um, and then also, if you want to go to the gratitude dinner, then I think you have to be on the planning committee. Um, the intergroup picnic planning meeting is going to be Sunday, September 17th at 2 p.m. at 12 Step House. And then the picnic itself is going to be on Sunday, October 29th from 11 to 4, um, and that's at Snyder Park, right? Snyder Park. Uh, October 27th to 29th, the second annual Bull in a China Shop Corral. And then join us next week. We have Peter coming back for his ninth session, right? Ninth. Um, and then we also have on October 19th, Stevie B is going to be filling in for a special guest spot. So you're going to want to check that out as well. And then Monday nights, we have our big book study on the third floor of this building starting at the same time, 7.15. So fellowship starts at 6.30. Uh, definitely come check that out. I think that's it. All right, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. And we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thanks, and see you next week. Okay, we have um, tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts at alcoholicsandgod.org. I would also like to invite everyone to the Monday night people study. And those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up center aisle. And let's circle up and close with the Lord's Prayer. All right, let's take a moment for the alcoholic still suffering in and out of the rooms. Who can bring us from shame to grace? Our
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Each way flies blooming all the time. That's up. 
my door Never before I had to change everything to realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I travel song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah. 